Welcome to episode 72 of the Eat for Endurance podcast. My name is Claire Shorenstein, and I'm a board-certified sports dietitian and runner based in Santa Cruz, California. I provide virtual nutrition services to athletes of all abilities, and I host this podcast to demonstrate that there is no one-size-fits-all nutrition approach towards optimal health and performance. Today's guest is sports dietitian Dina Griffin, who I invited on the show to chat all things nutrition during peri- and post-menopause. Dina is the owner and founder of The Nutrition Mechanic, and she also hosts the Inside Sports Nutrition podcast with another awesome dietitian, Bob Sibahar. Some of Dina's specialties include endurance sports nutrition, women's health and athletes, and peri- and post-menopause, so I knew she'd be a great match for this topic. I'm only 41, and I don't think I'm in perimenopause yet, but I certainly will be soon, so this topic is of great personal interest to me. We cover so many areas of this very large topic relating to active women in particular, and especially my fellow endurance athletes out there. If you are in your 30s or 40s, please listen to this. If you are in your 50s and 60s, definitely listen to this. Even if you're in your 20s, this is coming down the line for you and you can do so much earlier in your life, so listen to this. There really are so many things that we can control from nutrition, fitness, and overall health perspective during a time where many women feel like things are a bit out of their control. So please, give this a listen. I hope you enjoy my discussion all about peri- and postmenopausal nutrition for athletes with fellow dietitian Dina Griffin. Dina, welcome to the podcast. How's everything going today? Claire, thank you so much. I'm actually super excited to be here with you chatting on uh, some of the topics that we're going to chat. But yeah, great day here in Colorado. Super toasty and fired up. Nice. What part of Colorado are you in? I'm actually in Boulder area. Oh, fun. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So whenever I have my fellow dietitians on the show, I always like to start by um, having you share both your background as a dietitian and as an athlete. Perfect. Well, see, as a dietitian, that story is a little interesting. I'll try and keep it brief. I'm a career changer from uh, software consulting in my 20s. Uh, you know, when I moved to Colorado from the Midwest, in my mid-20s, I discovered uh, that thing called health and nutrition, which I did not have growing up and in the Midwest, nor was I an athlete by any means. And so here in Colorado, I was doing software consulting and then discovered the outdoors, um, like eating differently could make a difference in how you feel. At the same time, I was getting burned out in my software job. And um, my father had been diagnosed with a terminal cancer, uh, had changed his nutrition along his diagnosis and had seen some pretty profound changes in how his chemo treatments were going and so on. And so that, that was turning my eyes on like what this nutrition thing is very powerful. And then I had started running just for fitness and some, you know, fun since I was here in Colorado and discovered too that there were some nutrition challenges as far as fueling activity as a relatively newer runner, or recreational runner. So it's like these kind of these couple things aligned alongside being burned out with software consulting. And I thought, geez, maybe my calling is actually the field of nutrition and becoming a dietitian. So it was, I don't know, just this magical, you know, mix of events that happened. 
um, where I was becoming more of an athlete and then realized dietitian world was my calling. So quit that job and went back to school to get a master's degree, um, do the internship and all that stuff that you do as a, to become a dietitian. And then like the athlete side was developing a little bit more along those, along the, along that way, even though I had started a bit in the clinical nutrition world, I realized that sports nutrition was, was where I wanted to be, especially, uh, in terms of being a runner, which is mostly my, my calling as an athlete, even, even though I've done triathlon and cycling and some other of the endurance sports, but, but running is really my, my main focus as an athlete. Awesome. Thank you. And you just got back from a big trip, you were saying. Yes. You know, one of, one of the things I enjoy as part of my work is crewing and pacing athletes. So with some of the ultra athletes I work with, um, you know, I'm lucky to go and support them on site. So a couple of the more recent jobs working the bad water race for an athlete slash friend and crewing and pacing her for that very challenging race. And then another really good friend of mine doing um, an FKT attempt in New York State, which oh, cool. was about a nine day event or her 358 miles. So super awesome to be in the field and supporting athletes and, you know, kind of feeling it real time, what the challenges are. I think that's so important as a dietitian, because of course, you know, we have all of these guidelines and the textbooks and all the stuff, but when it comes to practical applications and really being in the thick of it and having to problem solve and deal with all the issues that arise, especially in such a challenging um, you know, situation, whether it's bad water or an FKT like that, it, that must be such great experience just personally, professionally all around. For sure. I highly recommend, I mean, it's kind of like even any kind of coach that can be there mm -hmm. real time and <clears throat> excuse me, see, see and feel all the challenges and then be able to problem solve or else, you know, the other side is like validating all of the work that you've done mm -hmm. and then seeing it come to the results, which, you know, we always cross our fingers too, like everything goes to plan, but not everything does. And so just being able to be there and then mitigate some of the things that are arising or, you know, the things that we can't control, like weather or some weird niggle that pops up or something that's not available, you know, you just kind of be in the moment and figure out how to, to remedy whatever situation occurs. Totally. Um, all right. So let's get into today's topic now. I know this is one that you are very passionate about. It's peri and postmenopausal nutrition for active women and especially for endurance athletes. As we were talking about offline, this is a huge topic and we're yes. not at all uh, trying to kind of do every single detail of this topic. We're going to see how much we can actually get to. Um, but we can kind of think about it as an intro to this topic at the very least, see where the conversation takes us. And I think it's important to begin by setting the stage. So if you can just define what perimenopause is, what are the signs and symptoms that characterize perimenopause and what physiological changes are happening in the body during this time, that would be fantastic. Oh, amazing. And I just so appreciate you, Claire, for having, you know, this topic on. I'm sure you'll have more coming in, in the future too, but it's such an important topic to be talking about or stage of life for females and especially female athletes. I mean, we could argue anyone, but I think some basic 
things so that we're all on the same page. Um, like the word perimenopause is, is still a little confusing mm-hmm. because we use language like, well, I'm in menopause, but honestly, and actually menopause is just one day in time. It's 12 months after your last menstrual period. So perimenopause consists of the years leading up to that, you know, special menopause day where we celebrate and we're in postmenopause. So what's interesting with perimenopause is the duration of time that we spend in that phase of life is quite variable between females. And so it can be, you know, as little as maybe four or five years where we're in this transition phase, maybe upwards of 10 or 15 years. And in this time is where we see and feel various physiological changes. And again, it's so individual, you know, just even you and me may have totally different experiences. And it's not always like doom and gloom either. But um, what I wanted to add here is like the physiological changes that are occurring. Oftentimes what we're noticing from just our experience is a change in our menstrual cycle durations or, you know, bleeding, um, the bleed duration or the flow, or then the change between periods like, oh, it was 32 days. Now it's 38 days, or maybe it's 22 days, you know, so that change in time. And so there's that variability. And a lot of that's just due to the change in estrogen or estradiol and progesterone, the, those two primary sex hormones. Um, so not only are those two individual hormone levels changing in terms of the you know production or the amount of those hormones, but then the ratios of those two hormones can affect our experience of perimenopause in terms of like the symptoms and signs we experience. And then we have estrogen receptors all over the body. You know, when when I was younger, I just thought estrogen is like, that's for babies, right? It's, it's reproductive hormone and that's all that matters. But honestly, estrogen receptors being all over from brain to gut to muscle. Um, I mean, you can almost name any tissue in the body. You're going to find some estrogen receptors. So to kind of dive into that area, like the physiological changes during perimenopause are numerous. Um, you know, we could start, if you want, we could start with like bone mm-hmm. being one of the areas yeah. where. Sure, go ahead. Because that's, that's obviously an important one for endurance athletes. Because let's, let's look at it all from that kind of lens, right? For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, as we are experiencing these changes in perimenopause, and just thinking about this concept, we have estrogen receptors all over the body. Okay, but we'll pick some particular organ systems like our bones, our skeleton. What happens or starts to happen is that our bone density starts to decrease or the integrity of the bone starts to become compromised. And even though we are athletes, you know, we can do so much with our training and our nutrition, but also the aging continuum and this change in hormone level, especially losing the protective effect of estrogen on the bone, is where we start to lose that bone density. And then that can be, you know, problematic, especially if we have a history of eating disorder or 
chronic injuries. Um, maybe our training is not set up, the, you know, to the best, whatever programming format, you, you know, with compromised bone or that change in bone integrity, we could then set ourselves up for perhaps um, some um, fracture or even just thinking of soft tissues where our ligaments and tendons and things connected to the bone can be injured or torn. So uh, if we're just thinking of bone alone, that is that is huge impact potentially for us in our perimenopause years. Um, and I know we'll talk nutrition, but that is something that is pretty common to all women is this change in bone um, and that loss as we age. So, I mean, even, even in those transition years, as we're getting into post-menopause, when we're done with periods, our bone loss can be upwards of 10 or 15% just from this hormonal shift. So that's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then we've got like muscle. We think, mm -hmm. oh, we're athletes, you know, we, we've got our muscle mass, but this is another change that can um, certainly impact us in terms of when we're losing estrogen or that flatlining of estrogen and progesterone is loss of muscle mass and the function of muscle. And so yeah. that as you know, what we feel, it's not like you wake up one day, you're like, oh, shoot, my, my quads seem like they're just not as strong. Sometimes it is more shocking, but we can feel that loss of power, loss of strength, um, especially as runners, you know, going up hills or trying to navigate downhills, technical areas. We just can feel that if we haven't done some of the proper um, strength work and nutrition, which which I know we'll talk about. So yeah, the skeletal muscle is impacted. Um, you know, there are other things, Claire, like our brain, uh, brain health can also be part of this process that we don't think about until we start having symptoms like brain fog or mood disturbances, maybe depression, anxiety. Um, but estrogen plays a key role in brain health, neurotransmitters, um, central nervous system activity, and so on. So the brain is another organ that is affected. Then we've got heart and gut. Yep. <laughs> you know, we can go on and on. We've got um, some other systems of the body, but heart and gut are, would be in the list there. So I don't know how much you want to go into to some no, of those that's, changes. That's great. I mean, we we honestly could spend an entire podcast just going through the physiology of peri and, and postmenopause. Uh, but no, that's a great way to kind of introduce everybody to what exactly perimenopause is, what is going on here. Because as you said, there is some confusion, and I think that the timeline and the highly individual nature of it is an important thing to kind of understand. Um, yeah. So for menopause then, or postmenopause, so menopause is that one day, it's 12 months since your last period, correct? Yes. Yes. And then, so postmenopause, are there any, you know, is there anything different from what you've already talked about that would characterize menopause, whether it's, you know, symptoms or physiology that you think it's important to mention? I mean, I think once we're in postmenopause, it's, we still have a little bit of estrogen progesterone, but it's it's basically flatline. So I think the point to make here is that 
you know, if you're in your late 30s or 40s listening to this and maybe you're not quite in perimenopause or even if you are, like that's really the time to do some things nutritionally or maybe training wise, just looking at your overall overall health because that will impact how your body is ready for those postmenopause years. So it's kind of like, ooh, this is our time to really maximize whatever interventions or whatever things we're ready to tackle that we can control. Um, because once we're in postmenopause, like you you want to keep going with what you've set up. If you haven't been, you know, opportunistic to do that, then postmenopause, it's it's not too late. Like you don't need to give up or anything. But some of those changes may have already happened. And so your ability to influence bone health or muscle, like you might have to work a little bit harder if you wait till you're 65 or 70 to just try and do everything at that point. So I think this is where as athletes, you know, most of us are pretty gung-ho and we want to do everything we can, which is awesome. It sets us up well. But um, yeah, I think postmenopause, you know, as we get into our 70s and 80s, we still want to be active and things. Um, there aren't a whole lot of other changes that are brand new. It's sort of an acceleration or continuation of things that, that started 10, 20 years prior. Yeah. And that's hundred percent where I'm at. I'm 41, 42 in September. And, um, I've been just your stereotypical endurance athlete who never strength trains and just wants to run. And I hate strength. Training, oh, and yeah. I finally committed to doing some strength training and mobility work and working on weaknesses and all that stuff, because I can't get away with it anymore, quite frankly, I just can't. So, yeah. um, I know, and I've heard others talk of, on, you know, on this topic of, you know, this is such an investment in your future health and future self and, you know, your ability to keep running and keep doing the sports that you love. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great time to really invest in yourself if you haven't already started making these changes. Right. So we'll see exactly. how it all goes for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about the nutrition piece. Let's start with perimenopause. And again, I know this is a huge, potentially huge period of time. Um, what is, so we've kind of set the stage a little bit, but in terms of like nutrition related things that are shifting that may impact our needs, our eating patterns. Um, and you know, the things that come to mind for me might be like total energy needs, protein needs. We talked about, um, or timing for protein. We talked about loss of bone. There's changes in cholesterol levels, all that kind of stuff. So maybe you can kind of speak to the things you view as kind of the top priority things to talk about here. Yeah. And a lot of the nutrition strategies will touch when we talked about bone or brain mm -hmm. or muscle mm -hmm. or gut, it's like uh, an overlap in the effect and the benefit. So for example, I mean, you talked and mentioned timing of nutrition. That's really huge is giving special attention to that or just taking a look at it. And it's, I, I would say it's never too early to like, if you're 41, like, and not in the thick of it, like it's never too late for us early in our 40s to just take a peek at nutrient timing, not only around whatever kind of workouts we're doing, but also just for your daily nutrition. Um, because we know that as we go through perimenopause years, and again, remember that can be 10 or 15 years for some of us, um, there's so much change with hormone variation and the flux of those hormones 
that we are more prone to inflammation and systemic inflammation and like a stressed out body, not, not the kind that you think about really. It's, it's like that sympathetic nervous system stress. And so we want to pay attention to, I mean, this is, it sounds really basic, but it can be kind of in the weeds for a lot of us. Like, are you even eating enough? And then when are you eating throughout your day? Um, because some of us might be on the diet train or following a diet trend or something. And so we might be on a one meal a day plan or like, oh, I'll just eat midday and then a little light snack later in the day, or it's just all over the map. And so I think just some of these basics here is looking at overall energy intake, the timing of that nutrition, and then definitely giving attention to the pre and post workout nutrition. And and some of that people like glaze over like, oh, come on, that can't be all that we do. And it's not, <laughs> but it can definitely be like this foundational principle that we, that we need to master. And then we can get into the weeds of like protein intake. Um, we need more protein as we get into perimenopause and keep that going through postmenopause. And so that might look like a gram of protein per pound of body weight can get even a little bit higher than that. And distributing our protein fairly evenly throughout the day. So again, this can kind of come into like timing, type of food. Um, we can get into also the quality of the food that we need to be focusing on. So again, this is like for brain health, for gut health, um, for managing or preventing disease state. Uh, you know, as we get into our postmenopause years, we're more at risk for heart disease. And so these are some things that we can start like, let's, let's check the box and get some of these things in place sooner than later. Um, for bone health, I think a lot of women don't realize that protein is, is really important for bone density, bone integrity. Um, cause we were taught, right. Calcium and, and vitamin D and you do like some exercise, but, but really our micronutrients, um, are more than just calcium. So we can look at your other minerals that affect bone, the bone turnover and that bone remodeling. So it's like, are you just to recap a little bit here, eating enough, how, how the timing of that nutrition plays out in our days on a daily nutrition and then our, our training nutrition protocols. And then are we getting ample and adequate protein throughout our days? Uh, micronutrient wise, are we getting things like the calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, vitamin D, um, pro and prebiotics for the gut, uh, you know, for, for muscle mass, just trying to prevent some of that loss of muscle mass. Again, it's like, we've got to eat enough. And so I think one of the challenges is when bodies start to change and we get into our mid midlife years, we tend to maybe get sucked into that. Like I, sh I shouldn't be eating this much because I'm gaining weight. Um, or I need to be training a little bit harder, um, because body is changing. And so some of that can actually be counter to what we want to do. And we end up getting in vicious cycle there. 
So I know that's a little all over the map. Like there's a lot to do, yeah. Um, but yeah. sometimes just starting with yeah. some basics really totally. is, is key. Yeah, no, and, and my mind went there immediately too when you were saying, like what you were saying about in the midlife years when people, because I mean, how many clients have, I'm sure we both gotten who are a little bit older and they're complaining about weight gain and we'll talk about that um, in a little bit, but um, but yes, the tendency is to eat less, like dramatically less and work out more. And that is really doing more harm than good. Um, and, and as you said, like much like with any client we get, we're always assessing, are you eating enough? Right. And it can yeah. be that simple. It really can be that simple. And I always like to remind people that, you know, we can really hyper-focus easily on, you know, iron or calcium or whatever nutrient we want to think about. And it's not that those things aren't important, but if you aren't getting enough total energy into your body, like forget about the other stuff. It's just not going to really matter. Right. So it's um, so true. So it's, it's a, it's a good thing to kind of, even with something, you know, like perimenopause, postmenopause, all this, you know, that simple question of, are you eating enough? I mean, of course it's not necessarily simple. A lot of people are overwhelmed (laughs) by that question, but the question itself is simple. Um, that's a really good starting place because that is the foundation for everything. Right. And, and so I like that. Yeah. And I mean, even as endurance athletes, it's like you're saying, it's always important, but I think as we age and then thinking of some of the symptoms that occur in perimenopause where we might have appetite changes, like not intentional, like I just don't feel like eating or, or maybe we are the time of day that we get hungry, biologically hungry is different. And then on top of potential sleep disruptions related to, you know, night sweats or hot flushes, things like that, or just insomnia in general, our appetite um, signaling can get affected. And so that can throw a little wrench into the, like, are you eating enough? And how do we work with that? Um, so yeah, it's like, it's always important for, for us athletes to eat adequately and optimally, but especially as we're getting into perimenopause years, when the other things are happening in the body that we may not understand or be aware of, we have to give some extra attention to. I think there is a misconception too, that the metabolism dramatically slows as you age. Mm -hmm. Do you want to address that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think some of the research now is showing like, eh, it doesn't change all that much until maybe we're in our sixties. You know, I mean, if you can, if you're into measuring your metabolic rate, I mean, that's something you can do and just see the degree to which it's changing. But as athletes, I don't think the significance level of metabolic rate is that profound as we once thought. But certainly if we have hypothyroidism in the mix or we have some other, you know, overtraining or, or underfueling that, that can potentially be, be part of an issue we need to look at. And in terms of when we talk about bone health, um, protein guidelines, all these things, are these guys, because we already have elevated needs as athletes, right? Yeah. But then if you're both an endurance athlete and you're going through this time of your life, do we need then even more? Is that what we're, we're trying to get across that it's even more than that? You know, like how, is there like a guideline that you typically are giving or what kind of, I guess, practical advice can you give there or like takeaway messages there? Yeah. I think the protein is the one that 
that keeps coming to the surface here. Like number one is as mm-hmm. perimenopausal athletes or athletes in perimenopause, postmenopause, really giving attention. Cause I think classically a lot of female athletes may be on the you know lower side of protein intake. I think that's been changing over the last few years, awareness and education, but this is definitely an area where higher needs, um, macronutrient wise, the protein is coming to the top here. And so, um, like if we think, you know, per meal basis, I don't know how quantitative you want to get, but yeah, like 30 to 40 grams of protein per meal would be a good average range for most of us. Um, and then post-workout too, instead of that 20 to 25 grams of protein, you know, it is pushing the 30 to 40 gram and being specific with the timing. So that I would say is pretty, um, I would say that is pretty, pretty common now that you'll hear, especially for endurance athletes or strength athletes in Mm -hmm. this phase of life. But it, as far as I'm, and I'm asking more because you know, as, as we were talking offline, like I of course work with women in this age group, but this is one of like your true specialties and I'm not really as up on the research and I'm curious and maybe, I don't know if you know this, but like I've seen research supporting increased protein needs as we age across all, like both genders, yeah. but not necessarily, and maybe this is a lack of research in this area, which I'm guessing it is, but yeah. um, I haven't necessarily seen, um, like, are there guidelines specifically for women in this group or is it more just, we see you know what I mean? Those, the, the research that has been emerging on, Hey, we just need more as we age. I think it's a little of each to be honest. Mm. Some of that, yeah. Like age related needs, the anabolic resistance, but also Mm -hmm. then through this transition, just seeing the benefit with regard to, um, brain function through hormonal shifting as we're getting into that period and postmenopause phase. Um, but also like the benefits with regard to skeletal muscle that I think are a little separate from just the aging role that's occurring or that aging um, piece. And so the other the other part here would be like body composition. Um, aside from like, you know, your muscle mass, it's just like working with um, the changes in body fat distribution. Um, so those are the biggies, I think. But yeah, I think we still need, we always need more research, right, Claire? But I think that still needs to be fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had something that came to my mind and I lost it, which is, I need to start carrying a notebook with me. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, maybe we can speak to you a bit. Um, oh, I know I wanted to say. You, you mentioned um, gut changes during this time or the impact on the gut. And I was wondering if you can speak to that a little bit more in terms of what's going on and what kind of nutrition changes we can make to help that. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, we have, we have estrogen receptors in the gut. um, And as we change, like as we age and go through this hormonal shift, I'm trying to use, you know, pleasant words here instead of like doom and gloom (laughs) as we go through this dreaded phase of life. Um, But there, there can be changes in the gut flora Mm -hmm. um, as a result. And so again, some of it, I think it's really hard to study, right? Because we have environmental factors, nutrition, genetics, Mm -hmm, all mm -hmm. these things. 
but I think what they're seeing is a change in the like kinds of bacteria. Um, and so that speaks to nutritionally the need to keep up with high fiber intake, varied, you know, whole foods, um, to kind of work with some of those shifts that occur so that we're not getting like that. I don't know. Imbalance isn't the right word, but like just try and maintain a good gut flora and work through that time where there's some shifts occurring just as a result of estrogen decline. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me about perimenopause, um, and again, it's just such a big chunk of time. So it's like so much is going on in your life. But yeah. like you think about kind of a middle-aged woman and all the things that could be going on in her life and all the stressors and whether it's family or work or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, a lot of these things that we describe in symptoms like mood changes or loss of sleep or, you know, just all these different things that I, I imagine it can be kind of hard to untangle those things. And especially as an endurance athlete, when there are so many other potential causes for these things that are also like training or nutrition related. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's not a question per se, but more of an observation that I yeah. know just from the work that I do with my clients that it can often be really hard to untangle a lot of the things and get to the root causes of it. And perimenopause just adds this extra layer. <laughs> I agree. And I, having worked with so many different women and, you know, being in that category, just separating like the life stuff from body stuff, from all the other noise there. And if some of us, we just maybe aren't in tune so much with our bodies, mm. you know, we may just have a mismatch there and what we're hearing. Um, I think it's an opportunity to learn our bodies so much, but yeah, it can be such a challenge, like even symptomatically, right? Like are your, like your lack of temperature control or, you know, is this, cause it's just darn hot out right now. And maybe we're not heat heat ad ad adapted for the season, right? Or is this some other changes going on hormonally? So things like that, you know, we just have to piece that apart. But being, I think being able to, for one, have the conversation. And then secondly, just kind of monitoring and tracking for yourself can be huge. Yeah, totally. Are there any specific sports nutrition strategies that we need to think about changing? Um, maybe it's recovery nutrition. I know we kind of talked about the protein piece already, but is there anything else that you are specifically looking at changing during this time period? Or is it really based on kind of what's coming up with each individual athlete? I, you know, I think it's always an opportunity, especially this phase is looking at um, how, so if we talk about pre-workout or pre-run, whatever kind of training we're doing, that fueling beforehand, how are we setting ourselves up? So especially for the early morning worker outers, you know, like, are we doing fasted training or not? And then if we are hopefully trying to fuel those workouts is looking at what it is we are fueling with. Um, because when we're younger, we can kind of get away with more, even GI wise, like a lot of us can just you know, eat like a machine and we're okay. But with changes to, to the gut, um, with the vasomotor symptoms that occur, we can be more prone to GI distress and blood sugar fluctuations. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's an opportunity. And I think you practice this too, Claire, like instead of just 
fueling with sugar before a run or a workout. It's like, well, let's look at the quality of that carbohydrate. Maybe there's an opportunity to pick a longer lasting kind of carb and then put in that protein to help set us up steadily energy-wise and gut-wise, like have that food just um, settle well and last us. So blood sugar control is really important to this phase of life. You know, I mean, again, it's another thing we could say it's important for all of us, no matter our mm-hmm. age. But I think as we're in this more susceptible, vulnerable part of of our lives is really trying to work with that piece. And we know it ties to metabolic health as well. So yeah. I think that is is an area is like, what are you doing pre-workout wise? And can we finesse that food and timing and look at the fluids and everything to just you know, not aggravate the GI system, but also just keep us nice and steady because blood sugar swings are pretty common or can be. Um, yeah. I think protein, you know, I'm a big protein fan. You might be picking up on that. You might <laughs> be too. It's just like, oh, uh, not that we need to eat gobs of protein during our workout, but for more the ultra athlete is maybe some amino acids or other protein sources that we can sneak in at some intervals. Doesn't have to be massive amounts, but also like whole food fueling, you know, if we can get in that realm, again, a lot of it's GI related or just energy stabilization. And so it might be leaning a little away from high amounts of simple sugars. Again, this is we have a little bit of research to show this, but a lot of it's like in the field. What are we seeing with the 40 and older athlete, especially an endurance athlete? And so, you know, there's always people outside the bell curve, but if we can work with the kinds of fueling, again, thinking more of the um, like longer lasting or whole food sources, that tends to bode well for, for performance and recovery. Um, I think the other thing I would add in terms oh, wait, of this- can I, I'm going to pause you right there yeah. for a minute. I'd love to hear you talk about some examples. I just did a whole podcast that I released last week on ultra running nutrition. And we were talking a bit about, you know, getting the protein in and small amounts and all of that. But I'd love to hear some of your kind of favorite go-tos and the types of things you like to work with, whether it's liquids or whole foods or other proteins and how you kind of work those in with your clients. Oh yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah. I mean, I think and I did, I did catch that pie. It was really good. I think a lot of the ones that I go to as far as like, and I'm not trying to be anti-sugar or anything, but mm-hmm. if you just think of like classic sh- sugar fueling with classic mm-hmm. energy gels, I might, so the, not the opposite, but other camps of kinds of fueling might be, if we were talking um, gels or powders might be something like the, like the spring gels that are more, you know, pureed fruits or pureed, Mm -hmm. like the rice kind of base or the chia kind of base. Um, Powders, I kind of like the, um, like the scratch high carb mix, formerly known as super fuel uh, Mm -hmm. or the you can. So those are a little different nature of carbohydrates. But I mean, I think there's opportunity too, then for all of these other kinds of like dried fruits or your own nut date, you know, bites, um, which we can make or we can buy or, or some of those bars that are just like nuts, not too much nut, but like a fruit nut kind of combo. Um, 
I mean, the classic PB&J kind of thing, right? Or some sort of savory option. Uh, granted, we have to pay attention to gut tolerance and what it is we're doing from an intensity level. Uh, yeah. But some of those kinds of things definitely are part of the mix. And sometimes we just have to try it and train train like that and see how it goes. But those are a couple of the examples. Hey, everybody, I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying this episode and the show generally, I would love it if you could head on over to wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share it with your friends, your running buddies, whoever else you think would be into it. You can rate and review the show as well. All of this supports me and helps keep this show going and growing. You can also head on over to my Patreon page where you can financially support the work that I do and help offset some of the costs that I pay to put on this podcast. Thank you so much. Let's get back to this episode. Yeah. So for proteins, it sounds like um, those specifically, it's kind of the PB and J and the kind of real food kind of things. Maybe it's a stop for a quesadilla or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Got it. I always like to hear kind of what people are doing and recommending and what they find works well with clients. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Any kind of other nutrition strategies or things, nutrition related challenges or, you know, anything you want to kind of pass along when it comes to this phase? So one of the other things that that is common would be changes with regard to cooling Mm. um, that might affect heat tolerance or hydration strategy. Um, So especially in perimenopause, some of us just really, we heat up fast or we might just feel like our sweat rate is off the charts, you know, and certainly we can measure our own sweat rate and things, but I think the cooling, um, you know, cooling techniques, which I know isn't really nutrition related, but something to be mindful of because it can affect like if we're getting overheated, it can affect appetite or onset of nausea or things like this that then can, can, uh, affect our nutrition plan or fueling plan period. Um, but just change in thirst sensation as well. I don't know if you've seen that as well Mm -hmm. in some of your master's athletes. And that's not specific to women only because male athletes can, can experience that, but it uh, is something to be mindful of that we might need some sort of hydration plans of winging it, which, I mean, we always would need a plan or have that, you know, some sort of structure, but um, it is common as we're getting into to hormonal shift phase that we want to give some extra attention to the hydration piece um, and GI issues, right? That's, that's a thing that will always be there with any kind of endurance athlete, but especially for perimenopause, maybe early postmenopause, we're more at risk. So again, just looking at quality or amounts of intake, uh, timing, and the kind of, of fuel that we're choosing. Um, mm. And then I mentioned earlier, yeah, the post-workout, like that protein priority, is, yeah. it's got to be there. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to kind of the, the, G, the gut shifts and the, you know, being more prone to GI issues, because before you were saying also kind of paying attention, moving slightly away from more simple carbs and more towards complex, but then we have to account for, ooh, actually, what about GI tolerance? Does that then kind of, like we're pulled in these two directions. I know. So I guess, pro- I mean, my guess would be we have to prioritize 
the happiness of your gut because that really is like the destroyer. Totally. (laughs) I'm curious like how you balance those two things. Yeah. And I think that, you know, how we say it depends, Claire, like depends on the athlete, depends on the thing, but certainly to your point, I mean, there are like a hierarchy, like, well, what are your problems that you're dealing with right now? Cause we want to solve those or get rid of those. Um, but for just trying to optimize or, you know, get through and deal with, with our changing physiology, um, what have you done in the past? Is there, has it worked totally fine and it's still working? There's no need to change, but if you're experiencing more issues, and I think that's where we can kind of take a baby step approach and maybe modify, like keep some simple sugar for sure, be more strategic with it, depending on the kind of event or race that we're doing or what kind of athlete we are. But perhaps then it's shifting the the um, ratio of that kind of carb to something else. Uh, I, I like to, instead of zero to 10 or 10 to zero, you know, it's like, let's just trickle it and taper it and shift this and that and kind of baby step our way to see what that impact is instead of radical change. Yeah. And I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, at least I am, but the thing also that comes to mind for me is, you know, I've spent a lot of time on this show talking about low energy availability and the risks associated with that. And we kind of kicked off this whole discussion talking about the importance of eating enough. And I think a good way of thinking about it, at least how I'm thinking about it, is there's just so much more at stake in this phase of your life. It's obviously always detrimental to not be eating enough as an athlete or just as a human being, right? But at this point in your life, the risks are so much higher because if you're breaking down your skeletal muscle for energy because you don't have enough carbs or total energy going in, or, you know, you're eating, you're you're kind of eating away at the calcium in your bones and you're not getting enough in for your bone health or whatever, all the different things that are happening in addition to all the other things with reds. And I just also recorded a whole thing on reds, but you know, again, the risks are so much higher because your body is going through all these changes and this is the time that you're supposed to be really supporting your body. So I think for me, like hearing all what we've been talking about, that's like a really good way of thinking about it and to kind of address people who are thinking, oh gosh, I, but I don't want to gain weight or, you know, like I'm too afraid to add more and all that. It's just, you have to think about, you know, at what point are, what is it worth it to you? Like you are going to break literally, (laughs) like you are going to break down, you are breaking down. And, you know, I mean, that's a whole other side discussion or bigger discussion, but that's kind of how I'm framing it right now in my mind. There's so much at stake. Right. So much at stake. And yeah, I think this is the power like of your pod in this episode is just like talking about this and really informing ourselves, educating ourselves, having someone on our team that can guide us. Like, no, you are not um, overeating by any means. And we need to nourish all of these systems of your body and nourish your performance and it's just a different approach, but yeah, that, that low energy availability state, it can just spiral and be compounded by this change that we all go through. Um, and so it, it can definitely have a detrimental outcome, one that we want to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to menopause now, unless you have something else you want to say, but we can always go back to perimenopause, I suppose. Um, 
Okay, so we go through that menopausal day. We celebrate, yay, no more periods. <laughs> um, what uh, what nutritional, I know, again, we kind of are, there's a lot of overlapping stuff yeah. here and we've already kind of talked about it, but is there anything else that we need to address on the nutrition front that might be different or at a higher level, like we're paying even more attention to this or whatever it might be? Or is it really just continuation? I mean, I think it is continuing, but I would say also just thinking of the inflammation side. And I know that Mm. term can get kind of muddy, like what is that, you know, inflammation, but systemic inflammation or, or just the aging process, right? So I think this speaks to the daily nutrition piece, like really wanting to have quality foods. I know that's a privilege to say that and an Mm -hmm. an honor to, to have that if we're so lucky and fortunate, but quality nutrition and lots of, um, you know, fibrous foods, a lot of colorful foods, a lot of plant foods, um, that, hopefully is in place, you know, earlier on in life. But if not that, you know, when you get to it, it will make a big difference, let alone continuing with the protein intake, keeping that up pretty high. I think those things are pretty important. And again, I mean, we've got a range of supplements and things that we can bring into the mix, but always the daily nutrition, just trying to master that um, and keep that going through our 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. I think having a lot of you know plant foods is is pretty important. Yeah, and you mentioned supplements, and that's one thing. Um, you know, we're obviously not doctors, so we're not prescribing hormones and things like that. But you know, there are various supplements out there, and there are obviously lots of symptoms people are dealing with, whether it's kind of hot flashes and all that. Do hot? Okay, this is this might be a stupid question, but do hot flashes stop? Once you go through menopause? Not necessarily. Oh, how fun. I know. How fun. <laughs> I, can't wait. I know. I have a friend who is oh in, my God. she has been done with with periods for at least ten years. Oh and my she god. She still Stop. has occasional hot oh. flushes. So Wow. Okay. But yeah, that's Wonderful. different for I know. <laughs> it's different for everyone. So yeah. not something that you have to yeah. expect. But- but there, but there are various supplements out there. They're not necessarily targeted just at women going through menopause or perimenopause, but um, there are some out there and, um, you know, and, and there might be recommendations on kind of symptom management. And I, I wondering what kind you have to say on, on all that. Yeah. I mean, it's great to work with a good doctor too, because you might find that menopause hormone therapy is is the way to go if especially if your quality of life is you know pretty crappy with symptoms and it's just a lot and again remembering it's so different for each person but that's something to go and speak with a good doctor and you know really advocate for yourself um whether uh hormone therapy is for you um but otherwise yeah there there are a few supplements that can be effective. Again, working with a registered dietitian is is first and foremost someone who can look out for you and do the assessment and really practice safety and efficacy and looking at everything to make sure it's not harmful. Um, but there are a few supplements that can help. Some of those are in the adaptogen family or some of the, you know, mushroom type supplements. There's there's a whole family 
of mushroom and adaptogen-based supplements that can be effective for um, managing inflammation, that stress response, the hot flushes, uh, night sweats. I mean, some of it may have only 20, 30% efficacy, but for some people, it's like just enough to help sleep or quality of life or just feel a little less achy. Um, so yeah, That's those like are ashwagandha, the, that one. Exactly. Ashwagandha, yeah. uh, rhodiola. There's, mm-hmm. you know, in the mushroom family, like lion's mane. Uh, cordyceps. So there's a whole bunch out there. I, I do I do recommend, especially if you're on medication, to to work with a dietitian just because there can be some contraindications. And okay, yeah, yeah. How I mean, this is one area I do not know that much about. Um, I I know a bit about ashwagandha, but the others I don't. How do you know, or how are you kind of choosing which to recommend? Is there a good research behind this? Yeah, there are a couple of websites too. I can get you okay. some links awesome. to Claire for for notes or things. But um, yeah, understanding, I you know, again, it's part of this conversation and assessment. Like, what are you dealing with? Mm-hmm. What are the other things in life that maybe we can impact? You know, if you're stressed out and it's this kind of life thing that maybe we can, you know, maybe it's not my job, but maybe another life coach or whatever. It's some something that you can manipulate to improve whatever that complaint is. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, like doing a dietary assessment, because I, I don't know how much you've seen this in your work too, but sometimes just shifts in daily nutrition can mm-hmm. highly impact uh, energy level, sleep quality, um, mood, you know, all those things that we feel and go through every day. So like that first and foremost kind of pass through, like, let's swap this and add this and, you know, let's do a little more or shift the timing. Um, but definitely looking at medications or other medical history, um, hearing what the complaints are, the degree to which we might have a symptom like hot flushes or how many like how much is this happening on a nightly basis or is it just a few times a week? I don't mean to say just, like it's mm-hmm. it's okay if it's only a few times, but hearing hearing what that severity is. And then we can go through, um, if we've got genetic data or some of these other testing parameters, we can look at that just to see, you know, if there's some other kind of food or herb or whatever that can, can impact and then bringing in the supplements, um, maybe one or two at a time, just to trial those a uh, couple months. Like ashwagandha is something you might try for two or three months, and then reassess how are you doing. Uh, yeah. Maybe we keep it. Maybe we layer on something else. So yeah, it can it can take some time. I think that's the other part of this is the patience required. Oh. Oh yeah. 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 And I want to call, I guess I want to call it a couple things. So number one, don't just randomly supplement stuff, especially if you're on medications, that's not a, usually a safe thing or smart thing to do. And it may not help you either. Right. <laughs> so just because you hear something on another podcast, I will not name it, but you probably know which one it is. That's always pushing supplements. Uh, actually, there's probably <laughs> many of them. Um, but yes, please seek out the help of a registered dietitian, ideally to help with supplementation. Um, and number two, it's reminding everybody that no matter who you are and what you're going through, if you come to a dietitian, we will assess you. We will do the exact same thing. You know, we are going to assess you fully. 
and look at all yes. the things going on. And I say this in part because I've definitely gotten clients that are like, can we just skip the assessment and jump to, can you just tell me what to eat oh, for yeah. my marathon or whatever? I'm like, no, <laughs> nope. No <laughs> way. it works, buddy. That's it. Yeah. Disservice. You're doing yourself a disservice. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the people who just want meal plans. So, um, so I just want to call out those two things as a, it's a good reminder that, um, it's such an important part and, and you can do an assessment on yourself. Obviously not the same things working with dietitian, but you can kind of sit down with yourself with any problem you have and whether it's related to this topic today or another one I've covered or whatever else. And you yeah. can kind of just be like, okay, like what's going on? What am I, what's the problem? What am I doing? What changes can I make? And yeah. how do I feel? And it can be as simple as that to kind of observe, you know, yes. and obviously we do a much more thorough job, yeah. but, you know, it's mm-hmm. a good exercise. I think Claire too, just to add on is that some of these things that we can feel and experience during perimenopause can be mitigated or affected by our nutrition and by mm. our other lifestyle factors. So that's where I get like fired up here because mm-hmm. when I have met women who are just like, oh, well, now I'm in menopause, here's perimenopause and my life's over and I'm not going to run anymore because I'm feeling blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh no, this, this is where we just hit pause and do some assessments, shift some things nutritionally. And gosh, this can be a whole new chapter, like for the next 30, 40 years of your life. So I think if we can think of this as opportunity um, rather than like the doom and gloom, then geez, I mean, that that's, let's do that. Right. Absolutely. And, and I mean, we, we have to be realistic. Obviously we will slow down and things will be different. Our bodies have changed a lot compared to when we were younger, but, um, but we do have more control than we think. Um, or at least we can make certain key investments in our health and well being and our ability to, um, to train for however long we can. So I think it's just controlling what we can control and trying to alleviate whatever other stuff is going on that we can't control and going from there. Right. I mean, what else can you do? Right. But certainly not stopping your life or, or ditching the sport that you love because, you know, but I, I do, I can understand how it's, I mean, man, it's, it's hard when, I mean, you see all the, the research out there on sleep and athletes, you know, and sleep and exercise and just sleep and health overall. Yeah. And, you know, if you're not sleeping well and you're getting hot flashes oh, and yeah. you're going through all these other things and I, like, I'm not even going through all of that. And I know there are disturbances to my sleep, just having two young kids. And I mean, there are just yeah. so many things from life generally on top of all the physiological stuff. So you can imagine like the impact it has on your ability to train and oh, feel yeah. good. There's just, there's so many opportunities to not feel good. You know? It's so true. And so we really want to do our best to kind of counteract those with whatever we can. For sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I want to revisit the whole conversation surrounding menopause, perimenopause, postmenopause and weight gain. Um, because as we were talking about, you know, a lot of these women are super active. You know, we do see women, middle-aged women or women in their 60s, and they are just like so active and crushing it or whatever. Or maybe they're not really crushing anymore and they're struggling as we were talking about and they're frustrated. And um, 
Yeah. I mean, when you're working with women like this, you know, what are you saying to them? How are you talking about it? How are you handling this whole struggle between the frustration surrounding weight gain and not wanting to gain weight? Because that is such a common complaint and really making sure they're nourishing themselves and protecting their bodies and doing all these things we're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's, it's definitely a very sensitive area for a lot of us. I think, I think it's important in this conversation is bringing up, like, how do you feel trying to separate that from what body shape and mass and whatever the number on the scale, if you're weighing all, like, what is it you want to feel and what is it you're not feeling right now? And just like kind of being in that subjective, uh, independent of what is happening with body shape is some important conversation because, you know, if, if, if we're dwelling on size of jeans or whatever, size of sports mm-hmm. bra, you name it, it's like, well, how's that align with, with the energy that you want to feel or the things you want to do in life? And I know that can get like in a little bit of woo woo territory, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, okay. Im- it's important to kind of go there at times. And also, you know, there are a few things like, and I think some people roll their eyes at me, like I'm not trying to normalize just whatever is whatever, but also just like in pregnancy body changes or in puberty body changes. So in menopause, it's common for body to change. Are you, are you doing the things to, to protect health and work you know, do all those active things for all the reasons that we need to. Um, Like it's sort of a peace of mind. Like look at all the things you are doing. Some body change may happen, but also this can be a protective thing for the long haul. So we know, and there's some research to support this, that, yeah, I mean, we gaining some Fat is common, but also where, like, looking at the distribution of the body fat that we may gain, some of that is actually protective of bones um, for the long term. You know, when we're 80 and we fall, you, you know, if we're very thin, actually, we might break a bone more readily. Not, not to justify like one body size or another, but it's, sure. it's, it's also like looking at the many angles of changing body, but also then wanting to be careful, like that we're not resorting to the latest diet trend to try and quick fix this thing that we're not actually doing more damage by that eat less, you know, and just train harder approach, which for reasons that we've talked about a little bit here, it just can get us into a spiral and actually work counter. So I think, you know, depending on our personalities and things that things that we've been through from even childhood days to current day is really cluing in to how is it we want to feel and like thinking of body strength and what we're able to do with our bodies um, while yet still appreciating that that we may have weight or body composition goals, you know that's still respectable. Um, but we just want to put everything in perspective. So I know I know that was like a whole mix of feelings and thoughts and, and approaches no, that's great. there. But I like it. <laughs> um, 
certainly not advocating like, well, let's just start a three-day fast and do grapefruit (laughs) diet or whatever else kind of craziness. Yeah. Um, One thing I want to think about is, and actually, do you mind me asking how old you are? Yeah, I'm 53. Okay. Yeah. And are you in perimenopause or where are you in your journey? So I just had my menopause birthday in, (gasps) uh, gosh, like two months ago. Congratulations. I didn't even know menopause birthdays was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it is actually. I still have some carrot cake to celebrate. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But yeah, so um, I guess I'm in that early post-meno phase. Mm, Uh Okay. All yeah. right. Well, I will now look out for the, my menopause birthday when that eventually comes. I'm going to call it that. I think that's a cool <laughs> thing to celebrate. Why not? Um, no longer getting your period at the point where you're supposed to not get your period, I shall say, right? Yes. Uh, in an appropriate time of your life, that is something that you can celebrate, not when you're younger. But I guess, okay. So seeing that you're now on the other side, kind of, I guess. Well, yeah, you're on the other side. Um, if you're to look back at your younger self, um, and think about all the things you know now. What would be the things that you, what advice would you give to your younger self from this perspective of caring for your body and taking care of your body? Oh, I'm loving this question and trying not to tear up either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Because I think, I mean, a lot of us women are body conscious, right? And we mm-hmm. we want to look a certain way. And I was just saying a minute ago, it's about feeling a certain way. So I think that would be something um, to reinforce to the younger self, like um, fueling well for for said sport actually would have made me a better, stronger runner instead of some, some you know, under fueling, whether it was intentional or not, you know, more probably unintentional for me. but that fuel is super important and like what the body can do versus how it looks. I think, geez, if that message was there for, for me and so many others, it's such a huge like light bulb. It would have changed so many other things. Um, but yeah, I think the nourishment piece, not being too rigid, um, cause I mean, as dietitians, we're a little different cause we experiment with some things and try different things, but there were definitely some things I did in my early forties to just try and be hardcore and really try like, oh, I want to experiment with this, but I don't know that it was worth, you know, what I learned from it. I suppose all learning is worth it, but it, it might've been a little more to, uh, like getting into the, um, not dangerous, but like this was unnecessary. We, mm. we probably didn't need to go to that degree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for answering that. I know, and this is something I've thought about recently because I, I do have a kind of eating disorder, disordered eating past um, in high school and in my early 20s. Um, and I'm almost 42 now. But I do think about the impact that, you know, all of those years of under fueling and it was intentional but later in life it actually I got I had some unintentional underfueling because I just didn't know better when I got in distance running yeah I really just didn't know yeah uh, I'm also a career changer dietitian so I didn't go back to school um until much later and learn all this stuff and of course yeah. I didn't learn sports nutrition and and you oh, know yeah. in school as a dietitian that was later but um 
but no, I do think about kind of the last, the more lasting impacts of that, whether it's my bone health, my bone density, you know, all those kinds of things, like mm-hmm. what damage did I do just from just the physiological stuff. And then of course there's the, like all the stuff I missed out on in life. Yeah. Right. And that's, it is very like, Oh, it's so devastating to think about, but yeah. you know, I know if I, you know, we don't know, it's always hard when you're in the thick of it and it's easy for us to sit here on the other side and, and say, Oh, you know, writing this letter to our younger self or to other young people, it's, it's a whole different thing. But I, I do like to think about how, you know, you're in this different phase of your life now and we're talking about this topic. And as someone, again, who's, you know, I'm kind of will soon be entering into it. And I really want to motivate other people who might be younger than me or around the same age, or maybe they're way younger than me to not just put this off to the side and never think about it because, oh, that's when I'm really old. Well, no, it's not. Right. <laughs> you know, your forties are not old. Like when we were young, right. 40 is sold, but actually it's really not. <laughs> and, uh, and it's here. And, uh, yeah. So I just want to, I hope other people think about all these things and really take care of themselves and try to prioritize um, some of these things that we've discussed. I love that, Claire. So important. And also yeah. just like post-menopause, I mean, we're, we hope, right, that we've got 40, 50 more years to live. That's a long time. And so if we can if we can do all these things that we're talking about, or just know that there's, it's not over once you're whatever age, you know, that you think is like, Oh, this is done. Um, and part of that is a cultural thing in our society, but just trying to like, Oh gosh, this is my whole next chapter. I want to make the most of it. And I've learned all these things now. And so I have the opportunity to affect this latter half of my life. And that's pretty darn cool. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking about too, is, um, kind of changing, not just kind of our nutrition behaviors, but how we exercise. And I know there's stuff out there, um, on strength training and not, or like doing not just a lot of low long stuff, but kind of shorter bouts of high intensity work and lifting heavy weights and all of that. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. That That is the other important piece here to look at. I mean, nutrition is huge, but if we can also examine our training and exercise programming and make some, be willing to make some changes. Cause I, you know, I was like you, Claire, I just run all the time and I, you know, what, what's a Olympic bar? What is a deadlift? I didn't know that stuff until I was in my, my, um, mid forties, I started lifting more seriously, but that the lifting, the exercise programming. So lifting heavier, which is unique to all of us, whatever that is, lifting heavy and doing um, more specific like plyometric jump training or this higher intensity, very hard, hard, high heart rate work, but it's short. You know, it's, it's a eight minute workout or something, right? It's just very specific. Um, But looking at the ratio of that cardio type work versus the lifting strength resistance work and the plyometric high intensity work. That is something that um, when we're talking about bone health and muscle, we're talking about even brain benefits, um, mood and, and other neurotransmitter activity. Um, 
those things and even just balance and, you know, joint health, so many benefits to, to really incorporating more of that kind of work. But for the endurance junkies that we might be, like we have to be willing to shift some of that training paradigm and that format. But the beauty is that it affects the longevity of us as athletes. So we can get away with still doing, you know, a handful of endurance runs or whatever the endurance sport is that we love. But if we're throwing in that lifting and the plyometric work, then we're going to be protecting bone. We're going to maintain muscle more effectively so that we can still be endurance athletes when we're in our 60s, 70s and older. So there's so many benefits to really taking a look at the exercise programming. And I've seen it firsthand. I, as a trail runner, ultra runner, I am stronger than ever on trails, even though I'm older, like I can, I feel stronger from doing the lifting um, and just feel like more resilient. So, I mean, just speaking to that personally, but Mm -hmm. yeah, thank you for bringing that up because it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the one thing we didn't kind of address that's important to address. I definitely am doing zero high intensity stuff. <laughs> I, I'm like really easing into it though. I'm, yeah. I'm doing strength training like two to three times a week. And it's, I mean, I'm so, I've, I've kind of dabbled, you know, here and there with strength stuff, but I'm starting really with some basic, I'm working with a coach and we're doing, you know, a lot of kind of stability stuff and and a lot of basic things because yeah. I just have so many weaknesses and I I really have just let myself go on the strength front. But yeah, I'm I'm curious what um when you talk about kind of the shorter bouts of high intensity work, like the eight minute workout, what does that look like for you? Are you running? Are you doing it on like a bike? Like what is that? Yeah. Well and I do go to a facility here in Boulder oh, okay. for some of these sessions that are mm-hmm. some of them are women specific. And sometimes it is combined with like a lift. So you you know, you've got like 10, 15 minute warm up mobility work, mm-hmm. opening up the hips, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that I never did when I was 30. Like, whatever, we just start running and yep. we don't even lift weights <laughs> or do any of this stuff. But proper warm up is really important because as we age, right, we've got changes in um, joint, tendon. The elasticity, I mean, even muscles, we need a little bit more priming of the pump here to get going. Um, and then there might be like um, two or two two sets of lifts, and then like the finisher, air quote finisher, might be that six to twelve minute high intensity. So it might involve some of the formats are like as many reps as possible or on the minute kind of 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 exercises, um, but it might be like a minute of burpees followed by a minute on the assault bike, you know, and then maybe one other minute of um, some of like box jumps, for example. And then you rotate through that four times, you know, so it's, it's 12 minutes of work if I did the math right. Yeah. And that's it. But it's involving that jumping, you know, all out on the assault bike. So you're feeling like you're totally toast by second number 30 and you still have 30 more seconds left. So it's really driving up heart rate and that, that acute stress, um, you know, there's that benefit in that acute time, but then for the long term, what we're doing with bones and metabolic health is, is pretty impactful. Yeah. 
box jumps terrify me. I don't know why, which probably is like, I just need to start doing them. I need to jump. I'm, I'm a terrible jumper. <laughs> oh my gosh, Claire, I was the worst. Like scared, so scared. of like a six yeah. inch jump. Like yeah. already. I'm going to like trip and fall on my face. That's, I'm going to oh. knock all my teeth out. Okay. Well, it's I'm really here pathetic. to tell you if I can learn it, then you are golden. Just like practicing. Yeah. yeah I was jump phobic for so long and now jump it's like phobic. one of my favorites. So I love that. I'll put that in my bio. I'm jump phobic. Um, <laughs> I will say I'm so proud of myself. I have started for the very first time ever doing like a dynamic warm up before my run. Like oh, I've been yeah. doing it. And even though it's just like, you know, some squat variations and some lunges with twists and some like just like single link dead or not. Is it dead enough? No, it's the R- RDL. Is that what it's called? Oh, yeah. Like yeah. bend over. Yeah. So I'm just doing a few things and like, leg swings and I'm like, look at me. I'm so fancy. Yeah. Look at this. <laughs> nice. It makes a difference. I can change. I know it does. So we'll kind of see. I will work my way up to the jumps, but that, that I'll that I'll put that on my goals list. How about that? Nice. <laughs> uh, well, anything? if you need inspo, oh, yeah, you can just yes. If you need some inspo from me, you know, like I'll I'll send you a picture of my my fun uh, box yes. jump. Yes, but. do it. Um, anything else you'd like to say on this topic that you think we haven't already covered? I know we covered quite a bit. I mean, there's so much as we talked about early on. Like this, we could talk just on bone or muscle or gut, like brain, all this stuff changes that happen in perimenopause in and of itself. Like each topic could be its own. Um, But I think for the listeners who are cluing into this, like seeing it as opportunity to really arm yourself with tools, education, surrounding yourself with others who are like, oh, I want to make the most of this. Um, that's not doom and gloom. We can do a lot and some of it doesn't even have to be like hard work. We can still do some fun nutrition adjustments. And when you feel, see and feel the benefits, it's just so rewarding. Um, so I think just, just, uh, props for anyone listening who's like, okay, yeah, I'm appreciating this more. And even if you're not ready for, for it right now, just knowing it's there for you when you're ready. Awesome. Thank you. Um, are you training for anything right now or going on any cool adventures? I know you just got back, but kind of what's yeah. on the horizon for you? I, I actually am training for a hundred mile uh, run in Steamboat Springs in September. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. I did a, I think, well, it was like a half marathon, but it was more like 15 something miles in Steamboat. Um, I've only been to Colorado twice. I do not oh. do well with elevation. Oh, that, really? that race nearly killed me. <laughs> okay. Was, all I know is walking downhill was hard. I don't know how oh. that was possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, what, what's the elevation actually at Steamboat? I, I think the the town of Steamboat's like at sixty five hundred. But it goes so. up quite a. We went up quite a bit for the race. Yeah, and then yeah, it this Run Rabbit Run course goes up to maybe ten. Oh, it's Run Rabbit. Yeah. Okay. 10,000 something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Have you done that race before? I have not. Okay. Yeah. How many, is this your first 100 mile or have you done hundreds before? Uh, it'll be the second. Oh, amazing. Yeah. When was your last one? Ooh, gosh, nine years ago. <gasps> oh, so this is a big deal. It's, yeah, it's a big deal. And part of it is like just seeing what a 53 year body can do, or I, I can't neglect the brain, right? Because some of this is mental, as you know, very mm-hmm. well, like the mental role of, of running and ultra running, but, um, just seeing what, 
whatever is going to happen will happen, but wanting to give it my all here in this attempt. Awesome. I can't wait to see how it goes. That's super exciting. Thank you. Awesome. Um, All right. I have some quick bites questions for you and then I will send you on your way. What is your favorite pre-workout meal or snack? I love smoothies. What do you put in your smoothies typically? Do you have a favorite Mm. recipe? I, you know, I do use the you can, um, energy powder or the energy plus protein as a base for any mm-hmm. kind of pre-workout, but I'll usually add like some strawberries, a little extra chocolate whey protein, um, either a soy milk or an almond milk and that's it usually. You're doing that before a run too, or like more of a cross yeah. training? Oh, okay. Before run and before strength work, it might be modified amount wise. And I'll also throw some creatine in there. Creatine. That's one that I, I, I should have, I should have an episode to talk a little bit more about creatine because it has some really, I mean, it's well-researched and it has some really interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, Um, definitely. And I haven't tried using, is now creatine, I might be messing this up, but there is some um, benefits for women in this phase of life, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that briefly if I can. <laughs> yeah, creatine. To the side well, for a minute there. <laughs> I mean, because women have, we store less creatine. We we make and store less creatine than, mm-hmm. than male counterparts. So um, for muscle mass, muscle maintenance, creatine mm-hmm. can be helpful then in that angle, but also clear the brain benefits is what we're seeing so much more. So if, if you are in perimenopause feeling like even the brain fog, which sometimes I'm like, what is that? Maybe yeah. I have brain fog. <laughs> I can't even think about what brain fog is. Yeah. Um, but like the cognitive and focus sort of attention, the creatine can, can be effective in that realm, but also just for overall brain function, brain health. So, and I think there's a little bit of benefit too, with regard to the intestinal lining. Um, so we were talking earlier about gut Mm -hmm, changes, mm -hmm. some of that, the creatine can be helpful and it doesn't have to be, you know, massive amounts like a teaspoon or five, five grams or so per day. Um, so highly recommend. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like I need to revisit the UCAN products because I tried them a really, really long time ago and I've heard they've come a long way and they've changed a bit. And this was like, I mean, a very long time ago and I did not like them, but they come come out with some new stuff and I I know a lot of people do like them. So I I think I need to try it out again. Yeah, um, it could be something to try. What is your favorite post-workout meal or snack? I am a fan of the yogurt, loaded yogurt bowl. You know, like your Greek yogurt and your berries and your, just like load that thing up and make it refreshing (laughs) and like some crunch in there with some nuts or whatever and just like load that up. It just goes down easy for me as a post-workout. Yummy. Uh, Have you had a, a cooking catastrophe? And if so, what was it? Cooking catastrophe. Well, I live at 8,600 feet. So my baking journey has had some interesting catastrophes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I love I forget. Ba- what do you have to change? I forget with baking. 
Oh, heck. Well, that's the thing, Everything. right? <laughs> like, is it more baking soda, but not too much, you know? Oh, gosh. Uh, a little less of the fat. Some of these things, depending on what you're making, because I, mm. I love baking, like the bread mm-hmm. or um, like banana bread or like the power cookies kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, nothing too, too descriptive. Like I blew up my kitchen or anything, but it's just yeah, yeah, been yeah. like, oh shoot, the, the cookie was like a crepe kind of thing. <laughs> Oops. Oh, shoot. But that's probably my, my, um, like, ah, this recipe isn't quite what I want. Let me just tinker with it. And then that's the disaster. Like, oh shoot, oh, there's a reason yeah. there's this ingredient. Yeah. Yeah. Have you kind of been able to find like a baking recipe that you enjoy that works at altitude for you? Yeah. I have a favorite banana bread type recipe and a couple, you know, like the, oh, they're cookies. A couple of those that I will go to when I just don't want to mess this thing up. But, you know, we got to experiment sometimes. Yeah. Are you doing winter sports as well, or are you mostly just running just because you are living at 8,500, you said 8,500 feet in Colorado? Yeah. I mean, I'll downhill ski a little bit, but I like snowshoeing um, just because, you know, you don't have to pay exorbitant prices for lift Mm -hmm. tickets and Mm -hmm, you can just mm -hmm. go out the door. Uh, Yeah. So snowshoeing, I still run in the winter, but those are, yeah, the outdoor sports. How do you like your eggs cooked? Ooh, summertime, I like boiled eggs. What is your favorite beverage? Favorite beverage? I am a huge seltzer fan. Just like the Bubblies or Pellegrino, Mm -hmm. Topo Chico, Mm -hmm. those kind of seltzer. That's like delish. Yeah. Um, What are your comfort foods? Comfort foods? Tacos, mm, a good taco. Tacos are delicious. Mm. <laughs> What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh man, I'm boring. I like vanilla. I'm just so kind of boring there. <laughs> vanilla. It is delicious. You can't go wrong with vanilla. It's true. Do you put any toppings on there, or is it just you just love your kind of simple scoop of ice cream? Oh, I usually just do the plain old vanilla. No, no toppings. And last but not least, top three items of gear that are most essential to your active lifestyle. Um, oh, Claire, I just got a Koros watch. So I would Ooh, say nice. this is like my favorite gear right at the moment. Would go in the top three. And uh, the Ultra Spires, I go pack, love for the pockets. Mm. Um, are they better than Solomon, do you think? I've only tried Solomon vests. I know. I have an old Solomon. Geez, they're yeah, a little a little vest comparison. I do love the <laughs> Solomons, but I yeah. think the one I have is kind of old, so I'm not sure mm. like the pockets met my cr- criteria. But um, I guess the third thing would be, yeah, I think everyone says this, right? Like the shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> the I use Ultras and oh, okay. um, have used nice. them for years and years, so they're my go-to. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dina. This has been such a joy to chat with you and and get to know you a tiny bit. And um, yeah, where can everyone find you online if they want to reach out and follow you and work with you? 
Oh, thank you, Claire. It's been fun to chat with you. Uh, Nutrition Mechanic is my website and my handle over on Instagram. I will say I've taken a little bit of hiatus here with a busy, busy uh, June, July, but, uh, you know, Nutrition Mechanics where you can connect with me and I'd love to connect with anyone else out there. Awesome. And you host a podcast too with Bob Sibahar. Is it, what's yes. it called? Inside Sports Nutrition. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Yep. And you guys are still yeah. putting that out? Yeah. We do have weekly episodes and um, that's been really fun to have, you know, conversations with a colleague and then other guests kind of like this format and just mm-hmm. other topics that we can explore. Wonderful. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dina. Have an amazing hundred miler. I can't wait to see how that all plays out and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Claire. Appreciate you. All right. That's our show for today. Thanks again so much, Dina, for chatting with me. That was a really, really fun discussion. All right, guys, if you have any follow-up questions for me or for Dina, please reach out. You can always email me, claire at eatforendurance.com. You can reach out to Dina over on her website, The Nutrition Mechanic. We'd love to hear from you. All right, and one last plea to please subscribe to the show and share it. Um, if you want to keep these episodes coming along, you know that is one of the biggest ways you can support me and, of course, heading on over to my Patreon page as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you all next time.